Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Thomas Nygren. I write about Liverpool for a Swedish website called lfcsv.se. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. It's always easier when all of our teams win, although that might be increasing stress, as we were just talking about before we hit the record button. But I figured we should start off chronologically this week with the biggest news, which was uh, Jurgen Klopp extending his Liverpool contract until 2026. Previously, there wasn't really much inkling of this. If anything, a lot of people, even you know, Liverpool fans, were pulling quotes where he said it was up to his family to decide um, what he was going to do after this contract. So, it felt a little out of the blue, but Thomas, obviously, feel free to to correct that if if there were inklings coming from the Liverpool side. But uh, I just wanted to to check in with you guys and, and ask, you know, are you surprised that he reversed course on that, that he has decided to stay? And what impact do you think his thing will have on Liverpool and the league at large? Uh, well, uh, as a Liverpool supporter, of course, I have to start by saying I'm very happy with this uh, new contract because it's it's a, a huge thing for us as Liverpool supporters, of course. And um, as you said, it was a bit out of the blue. I didn't uh, expect a new contract from Klopp now. Um, it started as a rumor on the morning, and by the end of the day, you could see him sitting there with a pencil in his hand in the, the new contract. So if this would have happened a year ago, I would have been very surprised because last season was tough on Klopp, and uh, he didn't look like he enjoyed it very much. There were even some rumors that he was going to resign during that season, but... Uh, Lucky that was all, only rumours. But the empty stadiums, the injuries, the bad game we played made him a bit grumpy. And he wasn't really himself during those times last season. But uh, when we got going last season and managed to get into the Champions League, things changed. And uh, this season we have seen the old Klopp again. It's, uh, it's very easy to see the, that he enjoys himself again. And uh, I have to say that when the news, this news made me very happy. And of course, there were no rumours. So... Part of me were surprised that it happened, but uh, when we, uh, for me who watches uh, Liverpool every game, I watch the Klopp, Klopp, Klopp's press conferences, you can see that he's very happy at Liverpool now. And uh, so maybe it shouldn't be such a big surprise that he wants to stay because he started to rebuild our squad now and bring in younger players. And uh, it would have felt a bit strange that he was, if he was going to leave when uh, the younger players are breaking through. I know that he's talked a lot about this job being very mentally exhausting for him and uh, maybe he's found some ways to work through that. Maybe his uh, family has supported him a lot. And uh, I also think that his assistant, Pep Linders, is very important in this because Klopp likes him a lot and he's mentioned that the energy he brings to the to the squad helps Klopp a lot when 
and he wants to develop Liverpool. So, of course, this will have a huge impact on uh, Liverpool. Klopp is the most important person that has come to Liverpool in decades, maybe in, in 30 or 40 years. And uh, what he has done for us is out of this world. We, we were not in a very good place when Rodgers left, having mm. lost Suarez, spent the money on players like Lazar Markovic, who wasn't good enough. We played Champions League with uh, Ricky Lambert up front. Now we are one of the best teams in the world. And uh, his new contract ensures us that he will, he will be the man who is in charge when our older player leaves. We, we have uh, many players in their 30s now with uh, Henderson, Sala, Mania, Firmino. They're getting older and uh, he will be the man who brings in the next generation. He has started already with players like Jota, Konate, Diaz. He will help Elliot, Carvalho comes in next season and Jones develop. And uh, of course, this is uh, amazing news for us. And I think this will also help us a lot when it comes to signing new players because the players who come to Liverpool now knows that Klopp will be there long term. He won't, he won't just be there two seasons, he will be there for four seasons. And uh, I think that would be very important when we sign new players. And uh, it will help us when we want the current players to sign new deals as well. We have Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Naby Keita, Roberto Firmino, who is up for new contracts. And uh, now they know that Klopp is staying, so the chances for us to keep them increases. I think that uh, maybe we can, um, we can find a solution for Salah where he doesn't want huge amount of money, but uh, when Klopp stays, maybe it can be, maybe there's no guarantee for success, but there's it's a guarantee that we will be close to success. And uh, as for the league, I think you can expect Liverpool competing for the title in the upcoming years as well. And that feels, uh, it feels great. Yeah, I mean, as far as whether I'm surprised, um, this is kind of one of those things where no decision would surprise me if he decided to not come back. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's a stressful job. He's been in it for a long time, uh, and I guess his his style specifically, I can imagine, um, can wear on you. And it's been a tough, been a tough couple of years for everyone. Um, most most certainly of someone that stressful job. But if he came back, I totally understand that too. Uh, this is a dynasty in the making. I, it, I can imagine walking away from that is an extremely difficult prospect because um, it is one of those like I've worked so hard to get into a position like this and now as much as they have won stuff I'm going to walk away from that that seems I can imagine that being very tough for him as well so as much as it like it would have made sense for him to leave because it's a stressful job and he needs to spend more time with his family I can I'm not surprised that I'm extending because it's this is this is dreamland like this is where you want to be this is where you've worked so hard this is what you've worked hard for like this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime team. Um, this is one of, if not the best team in the world, the second best team in the world, and it's really hard to walk away from that. So um, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. For what it does for the Premier League, um, I mean, it's great for Liverpool, obviously, because um, I think they're extremely well-run anyway and have good players anyway, so they would be good. But not having to replace a top, you know, top two, three manager in the world is obviously great. Not ha having that <laughs> nailed down is really helpful um not having to go find another good manager is ideal um like i said i think they're well run enough that they would probably do a reasonable good a reasonably good job and have good enough players where they'd be good anyway but this keeps them at that absolute top top tier level um so it's a huge deal for them um it probably keeps the duopoly of um city and liverpool alive for i mean at least probably till the end of his contract uh, as long as they continue to be well run uh, in the transfer market. 
Yeah, which is really infuriating for those of us that just brought in a manager that always wins the league title in his second years. The, the idea of uh, that kind of aligning with Klopp potentially stepping down was alluring and is now heartbreaking. But yeah, obviously, I, I agree with almost all of what you guys are saying, the quality that Klopp has brought there. And, and I think it's important to remember like how romantic Klopp was about Liverpool before joining. It's probably why he joined. There was like that video of him walking through Anfield and stuff like that when he was still the manager at Dortmund. And I got to wonder if that's partly at play here as well, is is kind of like what you were saying, Dan, like, what else do you want? You're, you're at a club that you've already had a romantic feeling about previously in your career. You've built it up into this global juggernaut, like Thomas was saying, like truly one of the best teams in the world. Why would you leave kind of at the height of your and their powers? But uh, I'll obviously follow up more on this with Thomas when we get to the club section. But yeah, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense that he's staying. It's just It just kind of went against everything he'd formal, formerly said. Um, but obviously to the absolute delight of of Liverpool fans everywhere. Um, Next, I wanted to move on to uh, talk about Burnley a little bit. Need to offer a mea culpa and a us a culpa? Pretty sure that's not Latin um, for the show because when Dyche was sacked, we basically led the show talking about how terrible an idea it was, what the impact would be of them losing a goalkeeper coach that just randomly turns out these really high-level goalkeepers for Burnley, a club that needs to keep goals out to have success. Um, and yeah, just, just that it was overall a bad decision, but (laughs) since then, uh, three ones and one draw under the guidance of Michael Jackson, not that one, but all the Twitter jokes are hilarious. Keep that up. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to ask you guys, how impressed have you been with what was supposed to be an interim manager? We'll see if he just ends up getting the gig after this kind of turnaround and how impressed have you been with the players being able to kind of pull themselves back together and really contend for a chance at safety? Uh, well, I haven't seen many of their uh, games lately, but it, of course it's impressive when you see the amount of points they have gained since he, since Michael Jackson uh, started to manage them. I watched the game yesterday, but I started I stopped watching when they were 1-0 down, and I have to say I was surprised to see them turn it around because uh, the way they played in the first 65-70 minutes wasn't very impressive, but uh, in the end they managed to win the game, and that is uh, of course huge for them. To, to win in that way when you come back from behind. Um, I had almost counted them out of Premier League when they, um, when they, I think it was Norwich they lost to in a few couple of weeks ago when before Deitch was sacked. Yeah, and, yeah uh, Norwich had only won, I think it was four matches, and after three of them, the other manager was sacked. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't imagine that it would help them to sack Deitch because he's the guy who has built that squad to play in the way he wants, so... To bring in a new manager sounded um, strange to me, but it uh, seems like it works out fine. I think that they now have a, quite a good chance to stay up. And uh, from a personal note, I fear that it will be Leeds who finishes in the relegation zone because uh, my father is the Leeds supporter. And um, I don't want to see them go down before we have a chance to go there and see them play Premier League football again. But looking at the schedule now, it feels like they will be the team losing out. Burnley has been here before, and many of their players know what it's like to play in the, in those last uh, games when you have everything to win, when you can't afford to lose and to grind out results. I think it suits them better than uh, it suits Leeds. Leeds is still a bit up and down, even though they have been playing better under March. I think that Burnley will finish above them. And when it comes to Everton, I think they simply too good to go down the win against Chelsea today put them in a good position and it would surprise me a lot if they didn't win enough games to stay up so 
my feeling now is that uh, Burnley and Everton will end up in the Premier League and that Leeds will go down. But um, as a Liverpool supporter, I, a part of me, of course, uh, would think it would be very funny to see Everton go down. But at the same time, to lose out on the derbies would be, wouldn't feel right. So maybe it's, uh, I think the biggest part of me would want Everton to stay up for the, so that we can still beat them in the Merseyside derby twice a year. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Burnley is doing this because it doesn't seem like they've had a huge, I think they've started playing Brownhill more in midfield, but like they haven't had a huge player turnover. It wasn't like there were just some guys that Dyche wasn't playing and now are playing those changes, but they've been, <clears throat> they've been legitimately solid. I think they've outshot their opponents in each of the last three games and all their wins. Um, I Props to Michael Jackson for being able to get this turnaround. I did not think it was going to happen. Um, I, I too, thought they were pretty much doomed once um, they lost to Norwich, and even more so once they sacked Dyche. Um, especially, like, I think I was more okay with Leeds sacking Bielsa because they had a clear replacement in mind uh, in Jesse Marsh, who I think is a good coach. Whereas, like, Burnley just sacking Dyche to then bring in an assistant, I thought was pretty nuts. Um, but it, it's clearly working out so far. Um as far as who I think is going to go down, um, and they stand a pretty good shot now. They have the same amount of points as Leeds and a much better goal difference, um, more points than Everton. I think they're probably the least likely of the three to go down. That said, that doesn't mean they won't. Um, all three teams still think I think still have a pretty decent chance of going. Like, there's a real chance of them going down, um, but they're probably the least likely of the three. So props to them, props to Michael Jackson for getting this turnaround, because I, I did not know who you were before, but I certainly do now. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. <laughs> and Burnley have not always been the better team in the matches that they're winning. But I think, Thomas, it lends to, to what you were saying earlier. They just have experience in these kind of relegation scraps, which obviously the Everton uh, players really don't. And Leeds, you know, to to an extent. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Burnley do probably have the best chance thus far. And, and Leeds have to be wondering what's happened with the results that Everton and Burnley have been able to pull out over the last month or so. Leeds looked like they were going to be fine and it looked like you would only need like 30 to 33 points in order to stay up this season and all of a sudden that number is probably in the high 30s maybe even the 40 mark which historically has you know been uh used colloquially but hasn't actually been needed it, it was usually more around 38 but yeah if, if these teams keep randomly winning matches like this then uh yeah it, it could end up being quite the battle and Leeds could find themselves on on the short end of that stick, especially with some of the fixtures that they still have to go through. Um, uh, with Burnley's win at the weekend and Norwich's loss, Norwich are now officially relegated. Uh, they do this very frequently. I look forward to probably seeing them uh, in 2024 yet again. But are you surprised that that they struggled this much? And did you expect more from them this season or at least after they brought on Dean Smith? Uh, well, we played Norwich at the first uh, day of the season and uh, it felt like we played the same team as we were up two seasons ago. Uh, so I think Norwich have done what I expected from them after that game. Um, they um, At that game, they were very open at the back and not very dangerous going forward. And from what I've seen from them this season, it's been the issue all the year. Uh, they look a bit naive when they defend and they don't really have the quality to score. So to me, the main reason for them going down is simply because they don't have a squad that is good enough. They haven't invested in the same way as many of the other teams. 
and um, they won a few games when Smith came in, but then it has been back to where it was before. Um, I think they would have needed to invest more money if they should have had a real chance to stay in the Premier League because they have they started at the bottom and they were. Uh, I think they were out of the relegation zone for a few weeks, but that was mainly because they had played more games than the other teams. Maybe just if they could have kept Buendia when they got up, could have helped them score a bit more goals. But looking at their squad now, I think it's uh, apart from Temu Pukki, they only have one player who has scored more than one goal. And uh, that is not something that keeps you in the Premier League. Uh, I like the loan signing of Billy Gilmore, but um, in the, from what I've seen lately, he hasn't, he hasn't started. So maybe, maybe he's a bit too young to have such a big role in a struggling midfield. We usually see them every other year in Norwich, but if they, if they come back again, I think they need to have an, a different approach to the league and try to invest more in the squad. Because um, to me, they've done the same mistake twice now to get, to get up and try the same way as they... Um, got promoted to play with the same players and with the same manager and I think it's it's good to have a manager that you that you trust and that you want to play in a very attractive way that they that they did before Dean Smith but um, the step up to the Premier League is uh, it's big and I think it was has been too big for Norwich twice now so if they come up again I uh, think we'll see a different approach from them. Yeah, so is, did I expect more from Norwich? No, I expected nothing, and I was not disappointed. Um, they they came up in an extremely convincing fashion. They came up in a style which was predicated on having a lot more talent than their opponents a lot of the time, which they were never going to have in Premier League, and they sold the best player uh, in Buendia, didn't really replace him, spent real money on Josh Sargent, which is not a good idea, um, as much as it pains me to say. Um, yeah, I just... I would be surprised if any if Norwich fans or maybe even everyone associated with the club was like expecting to stay up the season. I think their best case scenario was 17th, and that wasn't the most likely scenario. Um, they they just don't have the talent, um, and that's shown this year. They have the uh, fewest goals scored in the league by a lot. Um, they've only scored 22, and the next most is 31. Um, they have only leads conceded more goals. Like they're just they're clearly the worst team in the league. Um, that was not an unreasonable expectation going into the season. Um, I don't know who would be entirely shocked by this. Um, I know I'm not. Um, so yeah, um, but and this is clearly seems to be part of their style, and they just get the money from getting um, promoted. Then they go down. They have enough to then come back up, and they've just been yo-yoing for a couple of years. Um, do they seem fine with it based on how they are acting and how they are spending or not spending? Um, so sure. Um, that seems to be like fine within the aims of the club, but they were, they were, I thought the most likely team to go down at the beginning of the season and that has proved to be the case. So I don't, I'm not surprised at all. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I thought some of their summer signings were actually pretty, pretty decent. Although Dan, you and I know that uh, there probably wasn't too much faith in uh, Josh Sargent leading the line. He's American. If he was good, we'd say so. <laughs> That's true. We're <laughs> quite biased. Um, but, yeah. I, I think it was one of those windows where I was impressed because I felt like they were improving their 11, obviously losing Buendia hurt, but uh, I think it was in that way where kind of like you guys are alluding to, they really just ensured that they're probably going to come up again next year. Not that they were really going to be, 
uh, safe with any, you know, meaningful uh, chance this year. So, yeah, we'll see what happens to them. I, I was impressed the first couple of weeks with Dean Smith, and then things kind of seemed to tail off. So not really sure um, if that's just a player thing, if the players got tired over time, um, even though the styles were somewhat comparable. I, I don't know. It, it was I, I thought they'd do better to be honest, under Dean Smith. But here they are, relegated yet again. But I'm sure the the optimism long-term isn't particularly dampened because, as we all say, probably likely that they'll be one of the favorites to come back up just next season. All right, uh, we'll wrap up this section by talking about losing ruts, which uh, maybe (laughs) Thomas has had a little bit less experience with than Dan and myself. But uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up was after Tottenham's recent uh, losing streak, Conte changed how we were training, which was that previously we were playing 11 versus no one and just drilling the the kind of repetitive uh, patterns of play that Conte likes to utilize, just making sure everyone's in the right space at the right time, regardless of whether they're opponents. After losing to Brighton and drawing Brentford, chose to uh, start playing, you know, full full matches against kind of some of the secondary players. And I, it, it seems to have worked this week, although we did not look particularly good in the first half, kind of reminiscent of the Villa match. Um, once we got the goal, they just had to try to come out. And as soon as they did, we were able to kind of catch them on the break. But I was just curious from you guys, if, if you lose a couple of matches, what is your manager or your club's institutional response to that kind of thing? Do you mess with tactics? Do you mess with the player selection? Do you mess with your training methods? I, I just wanted to know how you guys tend to get out of it and if it usually works. Um, well, we've only lost three games this season, so... Well, no, uh, last season was uh, hard for Liverpool, of course, when we lost many games at home in a row. And uh, the situation for us then was there were a lot of players injured, so Klopp couldn't do anything uh, in particular to change the starting eleven And... Um, the games came every three or four days, so there was not much to do in training. In training as well, it was all about to, to rest players and so. But what Klopp did was that he tried to move a few players from midfield to the back, to the central of the defense, because when we lost uh, Van Dijk, we didn't have the. Of course, we lost him as a defender. He's maybe the best defender in the world. But we also lost uh, the way that he is important in the build-up play. And um, what Klopp did then was that he moved. Uh, first Fabinho and then Henderson to um, to the central of the defense uh, bec- so that they could be able to start our build-up play in a better way. Uh, it didn't work out very well. I think uh, the way that we got out of that losing rut was that the players started to uh, come back and that the club uh, moved Fabinho back to the midfield. Um, but we have been uh, blessed in the past four seasons. We haven't been through any tough losing ruts. I think uh, if we look... Apart from last season, we've lost six league games in three seasons. So we're in a very good way with our manager. And uh, uh, I don't, it's hard to say what he would do if we got into a, a bad form or something like that. But um, we have, we've been lucky not to uh, get into those uh, losing ruts. So I just hope that it stays this way because um, it was very hard to be in a situation last season where we lost at home so many games and had players out that nothing could change. Um, and I, at that time, I was a bit worried about how Klopp felt as well. But um, now it feels like uh, years ago, so don't want to think about that uh, too much. Yeah, I'm just sitting here trying to imagine only losing uh, that few games a season. But um, 
So as far as uh, our most recent losing run, we have the last three in a row, then now won three, three in a row since then. Um, we switched up to the starting striker, and um, we put Mohamed Elneny in for Sambi in midfield. Um, but that's not really a... I don't know if there is a particular institutional um, solution. I think it's generally a case-by-case basis because not every not every losing run is the same. Um, generally speaking... Um, I think earlier in the season, again, I guess we switched to a striker. Um, then from Pierre Mikabamiang to, uh, to um, Alex Lacazette after the Everton loss back in December. Um, so I, I think there is some continuity, I guess, between those two um, changes and to go on to winning runs. Um, I'm not sure there's a specific thing. Um, it is it generally, I generally speaking, I do think it's more on a case by case basis for these kind of issues. Um, one losing run is not the same as another losing run as just as one winning run isn't the same as another winning run. So as a general thing, it, I guess it's switch up the players, but I don't think there's a specific thing that works every time or that we do every time. It's just generally a more of a case by case basis thing. Yeah. And obviously every team would have their own approach. And I'm just now realizing that this might not have been the best question <laughs> with Thomas on, but uh, yeah, I, I do find it really interesting how how clubs approach things like this and, and how some maybe the club philosophy trumps the, whoever the current manager is you know probably a club like ix where the the f- structure of the club is fairly rigid and then you just have different names coming through and are expected to just kind of keep the ball rolling but yeah i, I was intrigued to, to hear that somebody with uh the perceived rigidity of conte was willing to adjust his training methods to to try to get out of that losing rut and then like you said uh Dan, obviously, Arteta did something right to get you from losing three straight to winning three of the harder fixtures on your schedule. Uh, All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start with you talking about Liverpool. I I mentioned in the open that I was going to come back to talk about the Klopp contract a little bit more. And feel free to absolutely tell me that this is dumb. But I have this kind of pet theory that the signing of Luis Diaz and seeing how easily he's fit into the side thus far was kind of the final nail in the decision coffin for him. Probably a terrible analogy. But that, like, seeing that there's a future or past now, even if you lost Salah, even if you potentially lost Salah and Mane, you have a player that you know can already fill for one. Maybe you play Jota on the other side and then you bring in a traditional number nine. You already mentioned a lot of the really young, talented players that are coming through right now, like Harvey Elliott. Sounds like you might be signing uh, Carvalho, but still, uh, uh, I think, yet to be formally announced. Um, so I, I was just curious, do you think there's any merit to that, that he's like starting to see what the next generation looks like? And so all of a sudden the fact that his tenure is tied to the fates of Salah and Mane was, was less severe. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, I think at least it has made the decision easier because, as I mentioned earlier, many of our players who who started Klopp's uh, era has uh, started to get to to their 30s. We have seen Henderson and the front three. We have Milner, who's uh, way past his 30s. We have uh, both Matip and Van Dijk in, closing in on their 30s. So uh, I've been a bit worried that uh, Klopp would do in a in a way that uh, Alex Ferguson ended this uh, Manchester United era with uh, just playing out his, to the end of his uh, the squad and then leave the build the rebuild to the next manager. And um, this contract ensures that the Klopp will be the man who starts this rebuild and end this rebuild. And uh, it's not only Luis Diaz. We've seen Konate as well at the back, who has been very important for us this season. Even though Van Dijk and Matip is the starting players, uh, Konate has, has done uh, many good games. And um, he has shown we have a life after uh, Van Dijk as well, even though of course, you can't expect a player to be as good as Van Dijk in the future, but Konate has every attribute to be a world-class defender. And um, I think that uh, I think it has also been encouraging for him to see how Thiago has uh, come in has come into this team because there was a lot of talk about Thiago last season why why Klopp couldn't make him to fit into our our squad. And um, after Christmas, I, I would say that Thiago maybe has been at least one of the best players in the league because. It's a, it's a joy to watch him play, and I think that this has eased on Klopp as well. That uh, the the thing that he was questioned about last season has been shown that he was right, and um, yeah, of course, Luis Diaz signing has been um, important as well because uh, we have all been afraid of what what will happen the day that Salah and Mane leaves. I don't think that we will see this day in this this summer, but maybe in a few seasons. Of course, one of them at least needs to. To leave, and um, now we can rest assured that uh, Diaz, he is a, he's the real deal. Maybe he needs to start score a bit more, but he's been in the club for a few months. Of course, he will develop into an even better player. We have seen Diogo Jota; he's a true goal scorer. He, he will continue to score score goals even um, the day that uh, Mane and uh, Salah is out. And one thing that is clear now is that. Um, Roberto Firmino isn't in our starting eleven. Of course, he's injured now, so he, when he's back, he will start games. But I don't think that if we get to the Champions League final and have uh, all our players fit, I don't think that Firmino will start. And um, that's a big sign of uh, that Klopp's rebuild has uh, started and it has, uh, has uh, already come up and come uh, quite a long way. Gotcha. And you touched on the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, which was Ibrahimo Konate, who obviously has drawn the eye of a lot of people after his kind of high-profile goals in the Champions League, but still isn't getting the starts in the Premier League over Joel Matip. And I was just curious if you think that'll change soon, and who do you think is the better natural partner for Van Dijk? Um, I think that next season will be Konate's uh, big breakthrough in Liverpool. I think that he will be the starting player uh, next to Van Dijk at that time. But um, I really rate Joel Matip. I think he's a, he's a very good defender. And it depends a bit on who you play because um, 
Konatsia is, um, is quicker than Matip, is stronger, is better in the air, but um, Matip is a, is a very clever defender, is good with the ball at his feet. And uh, when you play next to Van Dijk, uh, I, don't, I don't think it really matters which one of them starts, um, depending on who you, a bit depending on who you play, of course, but we have three really, really good defenders. And Konatia, I think he's got, as I mentioned earlier, he's got every attribute to be a very, very good defender coming forward, but he's, he's still very young. He can be a bit clumsy at times. He did a mistake against Benfica away, but he's a strong, he's a powerhouse, and he's great in the air. And he's good with the ball at his feet as well. So he's, I, I wouldn't say that he's similar to Mike, but when you look at those two together, I wouldn't want to be a defender running against those two. That's that's for sure. Um, and one thing that is it's a bit strange this season is that Joel Matip hasn't been in has almost he hasn't been injured all season. He's been fit, and I think that is one of the um, main things behind Konat, the Konate signing because. Now that Klopp has got the chance to rotate those two, it can keep Matip fit. And when he is fit, he is a great defender. The one that uh, gets in a bit of trouble with things is, of course, Joe Gomez, who hasn't started at the centre of the defence in the league this season. Um, now he did a great job uh, as, a, as a backup to Alexander-Arnold this weekend. So perhaps that is, what, uh, that is what will be his future in Liverpool if he decides to stay. But um, I'm a bit worried that a player at his age who has been missed many games through injuries in the last seasons and missed out on the national team. I fear that he would uh, that he will ask Klopp for a way out. Maybe not this summer, but in the summer after that, that he can predict and get a chance to start at the team at his best position. Because today he is uh, he's number four at Liverpool, and looking at the three players who are above him, we have Van Dijk. Who's to me, the best defender in the world. We have Konate, who's got the abilities to be maybe the best defender in the world. And we have Vijol Matip, who, to me, is maybe the most underrated player in Liverpool. So, for your Gomez, it would be hard to get time to play at the centre of the defence. Um, and it feels a bit strange to talk about this when you remember last season when we couldn't find a fit centre-back even in the youth squad. So, it's uh, we're in a better way this season. And... Um, I think the signing of Kanate has been key to keeping Matip fit so that we can uh, rotate them a lot and, and uh, Klopp can manage to to play the players who fit the opponents most. Got it. Yeah, I was going to follow up and ask about Joe Gomez, who I'm sure will be very highly sought off after due to both his ability and his Englishness. <laughs> so, homegrown rules always are a bit restrictive for clubs. But yeah, interesting to see how this all develops. And like you said, you know, Van Dyke and Matip are both getting older. So I was wondering if you'd still want to hang on for insurance. But obviously, that's a, it's a hard sell to the player themselves. Uh, Dan, we'll come to you now to talk a little bit about Arsenal. We kind of just touched on it in the uh, in the opening segment there, but wanted to really hone in on, on what you think is the primary reason that you were able to turn from three straight losses against teams that you air quotes should be beating to three straight wins versus teams that you air quotes should not. So in those three losses, I don't think we like, <clears throat> I don't think it was a case where we got clearly outplayed in those games. Like, I don't think we deserve to lose, you know, quote unquote air quotes deserved um, to lose those three games. We probably, Again, air quotes deserve like three or four points of that, which is still disappointing, but it's not like we were total garbage um, in those games. Um, the Chelsea game, I 
we just played a lot better than I would expect us to play. Uh, the United game, we we edged it, um, but I think that was more, that was kind of the reverse of the three losses where I don't think we, again, air quotes, deserved to win, but we did. We got the bounces, and that's fine. We would do some bounces after some unfortunate bounces in the, th- the three-game losing streak. Um, and then today, West Ham were not good. They, they were good for about 10 minutes. Um, may not have even been 10. Um, just after our first goal, up until halftime, they were good outside of that. I do not think it was their best um, performance, which is not surprising, given they just played on Thursday, uh, and they have they probably their minds focused on that uh, European semifinal. Um, so some of it is, I think this is true about this Arsenal team in general, you're never as bad as you're as you are during your three-game losing streak, and you're about as good as you are during your, well, in this case, three-game winning streak, and then even before that, you know, six six wins and seven, whatever it was at that point. This we're just we were never we were never as bad as we were during the losing streak. Um, we're probably not as good as we may feel about ourselves during our best runs. Um, but so some of it is just you know stuff evens out. Uh, some of it is we probably got Chelsea on a good day. I didn't think they played particularly well that day, and we played very well. Which hey, that's football. That's we got to take advantage of that. Um, so as far as what we did tactically, um, we probably got more used to having to play without Thomas Party. We, we lost him halfway through the Palace game in that three-game losing match. That's huge. He's a massive, massive part of this current Arsenal team. Um, it's, we've struggled for a while to move the ball through the center of the pitch, and he has been a huge part of us being able to do that in 2022 and even going back to the end of 2021. Um, so losing him was probably something we had to get used to. Um, it was pretty clear in those games after that, especially against, um, Brighton and Southampton where we just weren't really able to create against a deep block. A lot of it was, we were unable to move the ball through the center of the pitch. Um, I'm not sure Mohamed Elneny is necessarily the guy who has like solved that problem, but I, I, some of it's probably just getting used to him no longer being there. Um, and then as far as, uh, we also just got some very good individual performances from, uh, Martin Odegaard and Bakayo Saka, who went off the boil for a couple of games. It happens, they're young players. Um, and like as good as they are, they're not the best in the world who can carry a team literally every game. And um, they were, the way the rest of the attack was playing, we were kind of being tasked to do so. And just they fell off for a couple of games and now they're playing well again. Gotcha. And you also mentioned uh, earlier that one of the big changes was that you brought in Ketia for Lacazette, who last time you were on, we talked about how he was you know, maybe crucial to, to some of the assists that you were piling up and, and in that build-up action. And then the week after, you were like, looks like I praised him too hard, and then now he's not even starting for you anymore. So I was curious your, your thoughts on that transition and what Nketiah brings that Lacazette didn't for you in a striker. Because obviously Nketiah, just the two goals uh, since coming in, and they both came in the same match. Yeah, so I was never particularly high on Lacazette's assists because that was, that was always clearly pretty fluky he has i think he has seven assists this season from like 1.8 expected assists some of it is just he's laying the ball off and guys are scoring um it i think he did there is a meaningful part of that in the fact that he is him dropping back um helping um knit the play together was actually helpful but as helpful as that is the most important job for a striker is to get shots and he never did um eddie and Kedia is he can turn defenders he can get in behind um, and he's not, he's probably not as technically skilled, um, with his back to goal. And he's probably not as good a, not that Lacazette's an amazing passer. I think he's a bit overrated as a passer, but he can at least pass a little. Um, whereas in Kedia, if you saw him drop into midfield a couple of times, uh, during this West Ham game today, not great at it. Not his, not his best skill, but he also had six shots today. 
like Lacazette has had, I think he's had one, I know he had one crazy game against Wolf, the game we won at the last minute against Wolves where he had like six or seven shots. But outside of that, I mean, if he gets two, that's like, that's more lucky. He's not, he just doesn't take shots and Eddie and Kevin does. It's literally the most simple thing for a striker to be, um, to be getting shots. That is the job. Um, and Eddie and Kevin does it. And uh, Lacazette had not been doing it for quite a while. So um, I don't think he's, that's been the biggest part of the turnaround, but it has certainly helped, um, especially in that Chelsea game where Nketiah was able to get to, uh, and even against uh, United, he didn't. He had a goal chalked off for off. Uh, he had a goal chalked off. No, he, yeah, he had the goal chalked off. Then we scored him a penalty from that resulting thing. So he didn't actually end up scoring in that game, but he was still pretty good. Um, he also got another big chance that he had saved against the Hay up, but he at least again he's getting into those positions and taking those shots, which is something like that has not been doing for a long time. Um, and Nketiah is. Probably not a long-term guy here. He is his contract is running out, and he's made it pretty clear that he wants to go to a place where he's going to start. Probably isn't here, so this is like. And I'm I'm expecting this to be his send-off. Um, I would like to get him on a new contract just to be a back striker, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be happy with that. Which hey, fair enough. Um, so this will likely be a send-off, but he's looking pretty good for us now. So I I really appreciate that from, that from him. Also, given how business works, I would not be shocked at all if you told him, you know what, you're going to have a chance to start if you stay next year, and then like he signs, and then two weeks later you sign a striker. <laughs> that, yeah, the, and we the, will absolutely, we will, we have to sign at least one striker this summer, and there's no reason to sign a striker worse than Eddie and Kedia. So it's going to be someone <laughs> who is expected to start. So right, that's just why you're he's his... not. Yeah, he's not just going to be like, oh yeah, they're definitely not going to sign anyone else. I, <laughs> he and um, Balogun are the only two strikers on the books. So they're definitely not going to sign anyone else. Like he's not. I don't know. Players' and egos he, can be a not, hell of a thing, but that, that's fair. But yeah, no, I I do not think <laughs> he's um, gullible enough to fall for that. So. Fair enough. But then, yeah, probably two strikers that you'll need to sign in the summer, which is not. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I would like to get him on a new contract. It would make the summer a lot more, a lot easier. Um, just to get one, just have to sign one striker as opposed to trying to sign a starter and a backup. But um, like I said, I think it's pretty unlikely. Gotcha. All right, well, now we'll head into Player Watch, where as we head into award season, I just wanted to ask who you think your club's player of the year has been. For Liverpool, the easy answer is Mohamed Salah. He's uh, the top score, score, goal scorer of the Premier League, and he's also the player with the most assists. He's been amazing this season, even though he dropped off, dropped off a bit in the past month. But uh, there are a few more players who is uh, up against him as the player of the year in Liverpool. And I want to mention Fabinho has been vital for our midfield and he rarely does anything wrong in games. He has uh, developed into a world-class player, and the way that he and Thiago has grown together has given us our best midfield since we had um, Gerard and Xabi Alonso. Um, I think it also is easy to forget about uh, Alisson Becker, uh, because we score a lot of goals, and it often looks like it's, uh, it's an easy job to be a goalkeeper in Liverpool. But our Brazilian goalkeeper has had a season when he has been almost unbeatable, especially one-on-one. Because uh, with our high line, it sometimes happens that we get hurt by passes in behind our defenders. And uh, he's always there saving us. And there have been many games when he has uh, made an important save before we, have start, before we have started to click going forward. So he's always focused very quick and he has been really important to us this season. So, of course, our player of the year is Mohamed Salah. But uh, both uh, Fabinho and uh, Alisson have, have had great seasons. And uh, I could go on mentioning Van Dijk, Alexander-Arnold, lately even um, Thiago. Um, we have been spoiled with a great squad this season. And it has been brilliant to, 
to see them play. So it's hard just to choose one player. And it's easy that you look at who is scoring the most goals in Salah. So um, I think that he is, he's the player of the year because at the start of the season where we didn't play as good as we do now, he was the one saving us. So now that he doesn't score as many goals in the past months, but he doesn't need to score now because now Mane has started to score. We have got Diaz has come in and scored. Even Origi has come in and scored. So we don't need his goals as much now as we did um, earlier. And when we needed him the most, he helped us. So he deserves the player of the year for me. Yeah, and for Arsenal, I think it's... I don't know, I've heard some other people say, but I think it's pretty clearly Bikayo Saka. Um, he's our, he is now our leading goal scorer again. Now he has surpassed um, Smith Rowe. Um, and he's our leading, he has five assists, which is not our leading assister because of Lacazette, but it's still... He's our leading goal contributor, and he's, I feel like a Celtics fan about Jason Tatum, but he's only 20 years old. That shouldn't actually matter when it comes to player of the season, but I can't help not think about it whenever I think about him. He is, I think, our best player, um, and he's only 20. Again, that shouldn't actually come into it, but he, it's still just blazing in my mind. I think if Thomas Partey played like he had played um, during the, the December to when he got hurt run, um, he would be in with a shout, but he he was not this good earlier in the season, and now he's hurt again. Um, that's kind of what you do deal with Thomas Party. So he may actually have hit a higher height at some point this season than Saka, but he just, he doesn't have the whole season resume to back that up. So um, Saka's over him. The other contender would probably be Martin Odegaard, but um, he started off a bit slow. Um, and the Saka's actually like part of it is Odegaard does play a bit deeper, which is why his end product isn't quite the same as Saka's. But also like Saka has the end product has more end products than Odegaard. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty clear Kyle Saka. I've heard other fans throw some other names around, but I think he's he has it um in the bag. Uh at least he has my he has my vote in the bag right now, and there's not much that would be able to change that um between now and the end of the season. He has been he is a legitimately high level Premier League attacker right now at twenty years old, which is crazy. Um he's just he's very, very good, and I very much appreciate him. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll, I'll chip in my two cents on Tottenham here as well. I feel like everybody's obvious answer is going to be Hyungman Sun, who is second in scoring in the league. Uh, all of a sudden, Spurs fans care a lot about non-penalty goals after pretending they didn't exist uh, when Kane was winning it every year, which is a little funny interesting. Funny how that works. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, I, I think I'd have to give it to Christian Romero, who has just been unreal this season. <laughs> Somebody tweeted earlier, uh, am I crazy or is Christian Romero a top three center back? And I was like, he might not be three uh, of that top three, which is me being a little too hype, perhaps saying that he's better than DS or, or Van Dyke would certainly uh, be saying a lot. And I'm not quite sure I'm there yet, but emotionally I'm all the way there. The way he reads the game, the, the way that he kind of like, it looks like he's going to come straight through the back of someone, but then snakes his leg in front to nip the ball away first to kind of get away with it. The way he drives forward, he's had multiple shots on target just during open play, <laughs> not even on set pieces, but he's yet to really meaningfully be caught out when he does that, which I, I think was one of the big questions was, was his super aggressive play style going to work in the Premier League? Or would he just constantly get cards, which eh, kind of, um, but would his driving forward lead to people being able to to take advantage of that space left open by him? But I think playing with the back three means that there's always going to be one or two people behind him. So yeah, his instincts and ability are just absolutely wild. And I was saying earlier today, I, I think he's the best Tottenham center back that I've seen. Obviously, we're, this is just one year. We'll see if he's able to continue it. Also very young. 
Um, but just pure talent wise, it is unreal the things he's able to do on a football pitch. So I'm sure many people want to say son, but son was pretty much bad from like December to February. He was just still chipping in goals, which is obviously crucial. That's how you get results and points and et cetera. But uh, yeah, ultimately uh, I, I think Romero has probably been Spurs best player of the season. And then the the other one that I have to give a shout to is Hugo Lloris, who as he gets older and slower, does less crazy things. And he's always been a really good shot stopper. So I think he's also had a pretty good season. A few a few iffy goals near post, but ultimately I, I think he's kind of rebounded from uh, Tottenham looking for who the heir apparent was going to be to just accepting that he's probably going to be our goalkeeper for another couple years. All right, we will wrap up now with match previews. Obviously, still in the Champions League and still on uh, track for the quadruple, <laughs> our Liverpool. Uh, you're going to be facing Villarreal. Obviously, the first match, they didn't really offer much. You got the 2-0 win. Could have been more goals for you, but I'm sure you'll absolutely take that in, in a, at this stage in the competition. But yeah, what are you expecting when you have to, to travel to their house? Well, uh, Villarreal needs need something to, to change if they want a chance to get to the final because, as you said, on Anfield, they didn't offer anything going forward. Maybe we should have scored one or two goals more, but to win with two goals at home and go... Go to the away game and get the chance to. We rested a lot of players this weekend, so it should be a fit squad coming down to Spain. And I think it's we're clearly a better team than Villarreal. So as long as um, some, as long as you don't get a red card or an early goal at the back, I, I'm quite confident that we can go through to the final. But uh, Villarreal is in the semi-finals, so we can't uh, underestimate the powers there. Knocked both by Munich and the Juventus out of this tournament. So I think that uh, our squad will be very focused. And uh, I, looking at the starting 11 against Newcastle, told that Klopp also thinks that we shouldn't uh, underestimate uh, Villarreal because when he rested both Fabinho and Thiago in an important league game, says that he, he wants to have his best team ready when we go to Spain. And um, I think that we course we've got a good chance to get to the Champions League final and I don't want this uh, chance to slip out of our hands when we got this opportunity with two goals advance. The team who's, who's best at defending, they need to go forward in this game and I think that this would uh, suit both uh, Mani and Salah quite well. If we score the first goal, I think this, this game is over. But as long as it's 0-0, um, if they score, it would be very nervous. Um, we were in that position when we played Inter, and uh, at, then the rematch was at, at home, and they got a man sent off. So it was never that nervous that uh, that maybe it, it looked in the afterhand. But um, of course, it's the semi-final of the Champions League. It's a huge game. Everything can happen. But uh, I give us a big chance to go to the Champions League final and. Uh, Probably play Manchester City once again, but of course I will be nervous when the game starts on Tuesday, I and mean, I won't feel just as sure as I do now when the game starts. <laughs> but um, we're a better team than Villarreal, so hopefully we'll go through. 
Yeah, I obviously have uh, a lot of investment into Villarreal with Juan Foyt and Serge Aurier and Giovanni Lo Celso, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure that the players that weren't good enough for Tottenham are going to be enough to overturn Liverpool at this exact moment. Uh, Dan, you're going to be facing Leeds. I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were breaking through all these, when we were breaking down all these races, and I was talking about how like vital the top four races for the relegation race, you obviously have Leeds this week. You end the season with Everton. Tottenham still have Burnley. So North London's going to decide a lot of stuff here over the coming weeks. But obviously, up first is Leeds. How do you think they'll fare against the famously American Jesse Marsh and his Leeds side? Yeah, um, Leeds aren't that good. And we are at home. So you would hope we'd win. Um, I will say, like um, on a more serious level, uh, Ben White being healthy or not is going to be... a big deal um if we struggled to break to move through the middle of a pitch against west ham today and have struggled um without ben white for a lot of the season i don't know if he's necessarily like this all-world ball progressor from center back but rob holding and gabrielle certainly are not um so we really need him to be fit especially without thomas party um and kieran tierney that's but with no white party or tierney that's three of our four best um ways to get the ball from defense to attack um all out all potentially out um so i'm i do worry that um we may struggle against leads or to just create attacks if white isn't healthy now then again leads are not not the most uh defensively sound team having given up conceded the most goals in the league this season uh, i know a lot of those were under bielsa but um they haven't necessarily been the most defensively secure under marsh either no, they did i mean City, city. They did just concede four. Um, take it from that what you will, because it is Manchester City or completely bonkers. Um, so, really, we we should win. Um, we are a better team. We are at home. Um, but they do. I I'm. I wish they had got a few more points in their previous games, so they wouldn't have to take <laughs> this game so seriously. That would have been really nice. Um, but that's not how. Unfortunately, that's not how it's shaken out. Um, so they will absolutely have to give their all. They need points. Um, 34 does not look like it's going to be enough for them to stay up um, unless Everton just don't win again, which, I mean, hey, they're not that good. But I would still expect them to pick up a few more points. Um, so Leeds will be desperate for the points. Um, that shouldn't matter. We should still be good enough anyway. But I'm not sure. I'm not as much as the last three wins have been great. Um, I do still have questions about this injured iteration of this arsenal team um so i am expecting us to win i think we should win but um it is going to be maybe tougher than it should be with all the injuries gotcha well we will wrap things up there if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on that was a good time yeah thanks for listening my name is thomas nygren you can find me on twitter at thomas nygren i also write about liverpool for a swedish website called lfcs.se uh, most of the content is in Swedish, but uh, we have a few segments in English as well. And uh, I'm a regular at the Total Liverpool podcast. It's a Swedish podcast about Liverpool. So if we have any Swedish listeners out there who is interested in hearing any more about Liverpool, you can give it a try. And hey, I'm Dan. I'm still an Arsenal fan. You can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable, and you can find the podcast by just searching EPL Roundtable pretty much anywhere. You know, Google, podcast clients, 
you name it, you'll find us. <laughs> and clearly already have. Uh, so we'll wrap things up there. But thanks again to these two for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Thank you.